the role of the leader is not to be the boss man. It's to, to be a team member that's responsible for getting the resources that the team needs to be successful and, and getting them equipped to be able to do the job that you're trying to do together. But your role is not to be the boss. Your role is to become a team member that can help them achieve their goal. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. It was a few months ago now that one of the leaders in the Path for Growth community, Herb Sargent, connected me to Brandon Lindsay. He explained to me that Brandon is the VP of Ops at Hoopa Grading Company, a wildly successful excavation and grading contractor in North Carolina that has a track record for quality work, people development, and creating meaningful impact. Truly, the work that they are doing is just exceptional, but what's even more cool than that is the way that they are doing it absolutely invested in the lives of the hundreds of team members that they work with. Now, beyond that, I've also learned that Brandon is the founder and CEO of Dream On 3. This is a nonprofit organization that makes sports-themed dreams come true for kids and young adults living with life-altering conditions like mental health challenges and intellectual disabilities. Y'all, this nonprofit isn't just a hobby. In many ways, it's a mission. And it has like over 18 team members now that are literally making an impact around the country and have been doing that for over 10 years. Uh, Brandon's story is just so absolutely gripping. And as we walk through it in this conversation, we were able to extract so many powerful principles and lessons related to leadership, growth, purpose, business, and faith that I found so personally helpful, and I know you will as well. So to start, I wanted to jump into a specific moment where Brandon was challenged to level up as a leader. There are a couple of moments that I can recall where this was this was a pivotal moment and who I was going to become as a leader. One of those, when I started working with Martin Marietta, I went straight to work for Martin Marietta out of college and went into their management training program. And they placed me with a, a, a guy that it's a dear friend of mine now, but he was the last one to have gone through the program. He was in Wilmington, North Carolina. They said, go down here. You're going to work with Steve. He's going to train you up. And I remember coming out of college. I've got this degree. I've, I've, I've got all this energy. I'm excited. Got this new salary. Got a car. And I go down and I'm spending time with Steve and we're going into meetings and he was talking and I would just sit there and I wasn't really participating. I didn't know what to say. They were his meetings. And we did this routine for several weeks. And, and there was a point he pulled me into his office one day. He said, look, we don't think you're going to make it. He said, we, we're not so sure that this is the right place for you, that sales may not be your thing. Just, you know, you're not engaging, you're not pressing in, you know, this is, it just doesn't seem to be working. Well, it was a gut punch for me, but it was a wake up call that, hey, I've got to, I've got to press in. Nobody's going to hand this to me. No one's going to give me this. I've got to prove myself and I've got to show them what I'm capable of doing. If I don't know the answers I've got to ask, but I've, I've got to press in a little bit. So that was a that was a moment that really helped shape my career where I realized that this wasn't going to be easy and nobody was going to give me the formula for success that I had to press into it. 
Hmm. It's pretty fascinating. I mean, theoretically, that's maybe what college should teach people, but it seems like college didn't necessarily teach that. You learned that with your first opportunity employment. Is that fair to say? It is. And, and, you know, that's a shame that that's where we have to learn. And I think it gets harder and harder nowadays. This generation that we're, we're going out and recruiting now, I think it's even harder with them. You know, they, mm. they never had anyone say, hey, you're not going to make it. Like, you're not doing, you're not as great as you think you are right now. And, and to have someone that said that to me, it was a gut punch, but it was a wake up call. Hmm. Um, when you look at uh, their leadership in that moment to confront you in that way and to speak to you so directly, are there any takeaways now that you are in a leadership role where you're speaking into the lives of, uh, I mean, a bunch of young people? Is there anything about leadership that you took from that moment in your own personal experience that you still lean on today? Yeah, I, I do appreciate that conversation. Now, he could have been a little nicer about it. <laughs> but I do appreciate the candor and his willingness to, to say that to me. And I think too many times people just say, no, I'm done. We're going to move on. But I do appreciate that. And I think about that, too, that I'm willing to have those tough conversations with folks that uh, I'm trying to lead and mentor and I can say, I'm going to give you a different perspective of this. I'm going to have a hard conversation with you. It's going to hurt. It's going to sting a little bit. But know that it's out of love and it's for your benefit. And and so I am willing to have those conversations because of that. Mm. Okay. So that was the first job out of college for you. Can you explain kind of after that conversation and really the as the ramifications of that conversation started to uh, set in for you. How did that change your attitude, your mindset? How did that change your approach to work? What was the difference maker there, Brandon? Yeah, the difference maker was no one was going to give me anything because of what I've done. I had to, I had to prove what I was capable of doing. I had to go out. I had to earn this job each and every day that I couldn't rest on the fact that I had been given it. And now I've got this, this salary and I've got this car that I had to go out and earn that opportunity each and every day and show them why I was not only the man for that job, but the man for the next job that I wanted. And so it gave me fire. It put, it put uh, fire in my belly. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to prove it to him, number one, but also needed to prove it to me after that. Mm. That just makes me think of, I think it's a John Maxwell quote where he says, everything worthwhile is uphill. And I I think uh, I find your story very relatable where it's like you have these moments where you realize, oh, none of this is given. None of this I'm entitled to. Like all of this is work. But there's certain times in my life where I look back and I'm like, thank God that's the way it is. Like, like that's a literal statement. Thank God that's the way it is. Do you ever have those moments where you, you look back and you say, with regard to where I'm at now, thank God this wasn't just given to me. Thank God I had to like earn it and work through the steps and walk through the process every step along the way. Absolutely. I, I think that all the time. I think about it too. You know, I mentioned starting with Martin Marietta and going through their management training program prior to going to train with Steve. They put me in the quarry. And I was, I was in the quarry for three months. And every night I went home, Alex, I had dust. And it, all of, from head to toe, I'd take off my clothes and dust would just pour everywhere. And I thought, you know, I've gone to college for this. 
I just spent four years and I graduated and I've got dust in my ears and in my pants and in my drawers. And I am so grateful for that experience. They could not have done anything better for me than to give me that experience to get down and understand what the job is, to understand what we're asking people to do, how it gets done, and to earn some respect. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I think about that often. Are there character traits or leadership qualities that were deepened in you or built in you in that season, specifically in the quarry or in that recognition of I've got to, I've got to earn this and I've got to do the work and I've got to take the steps. Are there specific qualities you point to? I think so. I think, you know, one of the things that taught me was if, you know, they knew I was in a management training program. They knew that my, my ladder probably looked a little bit different than theirs. And so, but I had nothing to offer at that point. I had no, I had no advice. I had no work experience. I had none of that to offer them. So the only way that I was going to gain any respect was to get out there and just work and, and to gain their trust and, and to have a little bit of camaraderie with them to engage to get to know them. But outside of that, I had nothing to offer. And so I think about that as, you know, throughout my career, when I was given certain opportunities to lead teams and to lead people that gain their trust and respect first, go in there and get to know them and, and gain that trust and respect before you start to implement any changes, before you start to ask them to do anything. That was one thing I learned from it. Hmm. My assumption is that now with the role that you play at Hoopa and given the just incredible influence that your company has, you have the opportunity to speak into the lives of a lot of young people that were probably at a similar stage, that probably are at a similar stage in their career as you were back then. Like when you have the opportunity to mentor, pour into, lead, or even onboard those incoming people into the culture of Hoopa, like what is the message that you as a leader, but then also y'all as a company are, are trying to send to those newcomers that have a lot of energy, have a lot of excitement for getting to work. What's the message that you're trying to inculcate into that incoming team member, Brandon? Be a sponge. Like soak it up and learn from those that have done it. Gain the trust and respect of the men and women that are in the field and they will have your back. The role of the leader is is not to be the boss man. It's to to be a team member that's that's responsible for getting the resources that the team needs to be successful. And and getting them equipped to be able to do the job that you're trying to do together. But your role is not to be the boss. Your role is to become a team member that can help them achieve their goal. Mm. Do and you so have examples of that by, by listening and learning? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So what I want to know is, do y'all have examples of people at Hoopa? And if, if you can think of anyone specific, that would be really awesome. But like, of because I think so often what you hear in the industry, oftentimes, at least this is what I hear peripherally, is people complaining about the labor, people complaining about the next generation, people complain. And it, it, I can coincide with people like you, and I coincide with companies like Hoopa or Herb Sargent, who I know you're friends with, or we've got Gerald Nichols, who's in electrical down in Texas, that's part of our community. 
community as well. And it's like a radically different story. They're like, man, sure, some of that is true, but we've got young people that are coming in and crushing it. So do you have examples of people that really take that advice to heart and really succeed with it, Brandon? Oh, yeah. You know, the, the best examples are our leadership team, the owner of the company, then the vice presidents that come. They've got boots in the back of their truck, and they will be the first ones to pull up on a job site and, and dive into a mess. To walk out there and say, we, we've got a mess, it's going to be late, we're going to be out here for a while, and they'll put their boots on and they'll they'll charge straight through the mud and go out there to take care of a problem. Brian McManus does it, Grayson Glover does it, Tim Davis, all our executive leadership team, they're the examples. And I think that's what inspires that next level of leader to, to be willing to do it. They see the owner of the company willing to do what they're asking them to do. Mm, I love that. Yeah. If, if culture is the shared values and behaviors of a team, well, how can you have a culture that values that if, if the owner or leader isn't exemplifying mm-hmm. that in some capacity in some yeah. way? May want to jump back in on that topic a little bit, but I want to keep going on kind of your leadership story. So, so you eventually went through that management training program. Walk us a little bit through the career path that you engaged with to where you are today, Brandon. Yeah, I started with Mark Marietta and was in the management training program. Really didn't didn't know much about the industry. I'd grown up in construction. My dad was in construction, but Martin Marietta was, was a pretty big machine. It's, you know, a corporate environment, a lot of opportunity, and I had a great career. But as far as understanding coming into my leadership style, it was a long time before I viewed myself as a leader. And I mm. think it's because I had a definition of leadership, and it for me it meant being the boss, being the person in charge. And I think today I, I view that much differently. You know, leadership is influence. It's mm. your ability to influence others towards a goal. Mm. And Alex, I think looking back on, I probably God gave me a gift of influence. Mm. And for thirty years, I used that gift to to benefit no one but myself. Uh, you know, I would influence people around me to do things that I wanted them to do, but I was the benefactor of that. And I think in the role I'm at now, I'm able to use that ability to influence, to lead, but to, pe- mm. to help people realize their goals, to, to reach their dreams, to win as a team. But I didn't, I didn't always view myself as a leader. I, I, I knew I was in charge in certain situations, but I didn't see myself as a leader until later on in life. When did that shift happen? It, it started happening... When I got to sales manager position at Martin Marietta, and I had a team of guys, uh, young guys that were great, that uh, I was I was charged with leading, and I had to gain their respect. I had to gain their trust. I had to create a fun work environment, and it wasn't just – I understood that we weren't going to hit our goals and objectives if I came in and just told them to do it. Mm. And so all these different elements had to, had to work together, right? We had to, had to have their trust. I had to gain their respect. I had to listen to their problems. I had to listen to some of the issues that they're dealing with at home. I had to be a friend. I had to be a counselor. I had to be mama. I had to be daddy. I had to be all these <laughs> things. And, and so you realize that all right, this is requiring a different skill set here. Um, it's not just go in and do it. This is your job. I told you to do it. And that's all there is to it. And to start putting all these pieces together, we had to create an environment where people wanted to, to be there. They wanted to work. And so at that point, I realized, OK, this this leadership gig, it's different. Hmm. It's not just being in charge. It is inspiring 
a team to get behind a vision that you have and getting their buy-in. And that requires, it requires a lot more. I'd love to know really practically, as that mindset shift started to occur for you, how did that manifest in terms of the way you were spending your time and energy? Like Brandon that didn't see himself as a leader did these things. And then Brandon that started to say, oh, this is different. What were you doing different as a result practically now that you started to adopt this understanding that you have influence and therefore leadership responsibility? That's a great question. It was great. It, it was frustrating for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly think that's most people's story, right? I mean, I'm the same way, right? Is like, we don't step into leadership excitedly. We step into leadership kicking and screaming, saying this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Right? It was frustrating. And it was, it, was a, it was a total reset for me mentally because it took time that I wasn't giving. It, it took time to teach. You have to slow down. You have to take time to understand people. You got to talk to them about what they're feeling, what they're what they're experiencing. What are you struggling with? And for me, patience is is not one of those gifts that God gave me. So I struggle with that. It was easier for me just to do it than to sit down and to teach someone how to do it or to help someone uh, realize how to do it their own way. I had to slow down. I had to realize that success meant not just me being successful in my role, but the success of every member of that team. And everyone was going to do it differently. They were not going to look at it the same way that I was going to look at it. They weren't going to be incentivized the same way I was incentivized. It was, they, they didn't have the same reasons. But taking time to understand that, getting people in the right seats, it just took time. And it was frustrating in the beginning. But on the backside of that, it's so rewarding. So rewarding. And now that's the goal. Now that's the part I look forward to. Man, that's so interesting. And I love that you cast that vision and paint that picture. I think so often there's parallels between stepping into that leadership role and responsibility. There's parallels from that to the journey that lots of people go on with weight loss. I was talking to someone recently who's like really setting some pretty aggressive weight loss goals for themselves. And one of the challenges that they were facing is they articulated it so simply. I thought it was great. They said, you feel the pain, discomfort, and frustration of working out and changing your diet way before you ever see any results results. And I thought that was so clearly articulated about weight loss. And I think that that is very true about leadership as well, right? You feel the pain, discomfort, and frustration of having to slow down way before you ever see the lasting fruit and results that you just alluded to. So what was your motivation in that season where it's like, I'm slowing down and I'm not yet seeing the long-term payoff of this. What was your motivation or why did you keep going down that route instead of reverting back to your old methods, Brandon? Well, at some point you realize you can't be successful with your old methods. You realize that I can't hit my goals based on my abilities alone. I, I need this team. I, I've got to have everybody on board with what we're doing. And, and so I've got to slow down and I've got to invest there. But at some point you come to terms with your humanity you know, and you realize I am not capable of this. I need this team. And, and I, I, that's, that's what happened. I realized that I was not as great as I thought I was, that I wasn't going to be able to accomplish this on my own. I couldn't just say, hey, move out of the way. I'll do it. Uh, I had to bring the team along with me. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, I had, to, 
I had to leave. I love that. Okay, so walk us through the next steps in your career. I, I believe at, at some point in this story, you end up leaving Mark Marietta. Walk us through that decision and what happened next, Brandon. I did, Alex. So, it, you know, I, I worked with Mark Marietta 20 years. I actually left a month shy of my 20-year anniversary. I had a great career. A fantastic company. With, no complaints at all about my time with Martin Marietta. But there was a day in 2012, in November of 2012, where I was I was sitting at our corporate office. We were in a meeting, and I think we were talking about Salesforce and the implementation of Salesforce. And I was just, I was struggling. And I remember in that moment, just feeling something I had never felt before, Alex. I felt God just placing something on me that felt heavy at the time. But I remember it was almost as if I heard God say, this thing you're chasing, this isn't it. I've got something else for you. It looks different than what you think it looks like, but this isn't it. And I never had an experience like that. I never really, I didn't know what that was, but it was so clear that I couldn't, for the next few days while we were in that meeting, I couldn't concentrate on the meeting anymore. I spent the next few days trying to get this thing that had been placed on my heart and it was in my head on paper. And I called my wife on the way home from from Raleigh and I said, you're going to think I'm nuts. I said, but I think God's calling us to do something. I think he's calling us to step out and and to serve. And that's when Dream on 3 was on my heart. And I told her this whole story and she said, I think you're crazy. Uh, she, said, but she said, if God's calling us to do it, I'm more afraid of not doing it than I am of doing it. So, mm, wow. Uh, so she sounds like a remarkable it. woman. She is incredible. Incredible. Mm. And she is so much smarter and, and wiser than I am. But that was in 2012. And I, I worked at Martin Marietta until March of 2018. Mm. So we were building Dream on 3. Well, I continued to do my job at Martin Marietta. And then in 2018, Alex Martin Marietta came to me and offered me the job that I had been working for for 20 years. It finally came to my desk, and I remember my boss and I looked at each other. He offered me the job, and we just stared at each other. It was this awkward stare, and he said, I was kind of hoping you'd be excited. I said, I was too. And <laughs> that was the I called my wife that night, Alex, and I said, they offered me the job. They offered me the vice president general manager job. And she said, oh, my gosh, that's great. What did you say? And I said, I think I quit. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, well, I didn't I see that. I it was that it was that point to where I knew I was gonna have to be all in here or I I was really gonna do this thing that I felt like God was calling me to do. Mm. Uh, there's so much I appreciate about that story and specifically about the way that you told that story. So thank you for your openness and candor and vulnerability in that. One thing that I really appreciate about it is how realistic it is, because I think a lot of times the way stories like that get told is like, God said, stop chasing this thing, go do a different thing. And then every door opened and I was doing that full time in 24 hours. And it's like, your story feels very different than that. And it's like, no, I I heard a thing, actively started taking steps in that moment in accordance with talking to your wife and praying about it and writing about it and starting Dream on 3. But but the actual critical juncture moment didn't happen, it sounds like, till six years later. Am I hearing that correctly? Well, that was the, that was the stepping off the cliff part. But I left that knowing that this was something that we were going to have to do. And But to your point, Alex, I had never – I didn't want it. Hmm. I wasn't looking for it. 
I, I remember pushing back from, uh, from it and thinking, God, I don't want this right now. I'm in a good spot. Things are happening for me in my career. The things that I've been working for are starting to come. And I remember really pushing back on it, but it was so clear this was something we were supposed to do. And then, you know, I, I mentioned to you, I felt like I was one of the gifts that God had given me was a gift of influence. And I had I had experienced that gift throughout my childhood and even into my career. But it was so cool that as we started down this road of Dream on Three, that God had opened those doors. God had already gone and, and, and put this in place. That was the first time in my life that I realized I wasn't doing it. Like mm. I wasn't selling this, that God had been in front of me. I was just playing catch up at that point. Mm. And so Alex, that, that was a, another critical moment for me that I promised I would never tell the story of Dream on Three and leave him out of it because oh. I didn't do it. People ask me all the time, how'd you come up with the idea? I said, I didn't. You know, how'd you do this? I didn't. I didn't. And so I, it's it was so clear in that moment that this was his plan that I, I just swore I'd never tell the story and leave him out of it. I, I love that. That's beautiful. And I admire your faithfulness to that, even on this podcast. Before we get into what Dream On 3 is and a little bit of the story behind that, I think one of the things that can be really challenging for people who are maybe confronted with a decision like the one that you and your wife made is, is this God or is this just me, right? Like, and and really trying to discern, okay, is this the Holy Spirit convicting me to do something different than I've ever done before? Or is this maybe a piece of my ego? Or is this just a really bad idea? Or is this just something out of left field that I'm calling God? Or is this something that has been influenced by other people's expectations? What was your process for discerning I, I feel pretty confident or not pretty confident, like confident enough to believe this is God that I'm moving in that direction. What did that look like, Brandon? Oh, that's a great question, Alex. You know, the, I think in this case, I didn't want it. You know, I, I really didn't want I could not shake it. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't go throughout my day without thinking about this. And it just kept gnawing away at me and to the point to where I I just I had to sit down and spend time just getting it out on paper. And so that was the part to me that realized, all right, this isn't Brandon. This isn't a Brandon idea. Matter of fact, Brandon doesn't want this. (laughs) And it made no sense, Alex. I, I had no experience with kids with special needs. I had no experience, you know, an average at little of, of sports, no experience in nonprofit. None of it made sense. And so that was another thing that just, it was like, okay, this is not from my own brain. Now, Elizabeth mm. probably was in the other side. She was probably, all right, this is another one of Brandon's hairbrain ideas. <laughs> and she'll tell you, it took a little while for her to warm up to it. But uh, because I, you know, I, would, it was, I wasn't a stranger to coming home with a crazy idea from time to time, but she realized pretty quickly in it that this was, this was real. Okay. So that's, I appreciate you for sharing that piece of the story as well, because I get to engage, interact with, talk to a lot of people that are married. And as you now know, whenever I talk to you on your podcast, I was engaged and now I'm married. So a lot has happened for me where I'm not asking these questions hypothetically anymore. I'm asking these questions like for real, right? I think there are a lot of examples where you have one, maybe it's the husband, maybe it's the wife, one individual within a 
marriage that feels very clearly about a vision that that is they want to happen that, or that is going to happen. Maybe it's related to the marriage. Maybe it's related to the family or maybe it's related to the business. And then maybe you've got the spouse that is like, okay, I'm glad God told you that. He hasn't told me anything yet. And I'd love for him to like talk to me. How do you operate in that in a way that is actually healthy and constructive and faithful instead of either just bulldozing or subduing something that you're deeply passionate about? What did you learn in that season about that, Brandon? <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting for us because she was not in the same place, and that came later. But I also didn't I didn't ask her to be in the same place. I didn't say I want you to run at the same pace. Like I want this to be important to you too. She supported me, and she was encouraging to me, and she was a rock as I was going through this. But I didn't say you you don't have the same level of excitement and passion about this and you should. She was supporting me in that. And then at some point, about six months into it, her heart started to change. Mm. And she said, hey, this thing seems real. You know, I want to I want to want to dive into it a little bit more. But I think that was that was the secret to it. It was I didn't try to convince her of it. I didn't try to sell her on this. Uh, she knew that my heart had been changed and she watched it. She watched it unfold and at some point wanted to be involved in it as well. Mm. I know for a fact you've got a bunch of young men, probably under the age of 35, who are married listening to this podcast and they're idea guys, right? Like, and they're very faithful, right? Like they're faith-driven idea guys, but they're very creative. They love starting new things. They love taking risk. They love running headfirst into the challenge. And sometimes they can experience exactly what you're talking about, where it's like their wife might be a little bit more conservative, more reserved. And maybe a little bit more of a stabilizer, which I think is actually really necessary and good to marry that type of person. What advice would you have if you were sitting across from one of those guys? Yeah. yeah. So the first piece of advice I'd give you is if you're an idea guy and that's something that happens first, the first question you need to ask is, who is this for? Is this for me? Or is it for someone else, something else? And and that was that was the case here. This idea, it was not for me. This was gonna this idea was gonna be a pain. It was gonna be tough. It was gonna be exhausting. And in my mind at the time, I really couldn't see how I could benefit from this idea. So it wasn't about me. And I think that was one of the the tests that I was able to run it through. And then as far as you know, trying to trying to pull my wife in on one of my crazy ideas that never ever works that never works don't try to sell your crazy ideas if it's you know if it's something they want to get behind they they will get behind but yeah i didn't i knew i didn't need to come home and try to sell her on another crazy idea mm. Man, that just makes me think of, it's actually in a different context he's told me this, but I think it applies to this. I have a a mentor that he just tells me pretty regularly, like, move at the pace God gives you. And and like, it's like, do everything you can within wisdom and the moral boundaries that he gave to you 
And everything that you can do is everything that you can do within that. It's not an excuse to leave the boundaries of what he gave you just so you can be more efficient because then you're not doing it his way and therefore it's not even his thing anymore. I I appreciate your insight on that. Uh, Okay, so let's jump into Dream on 3 now. I feel like we've got this massive cliffhanger where it's like, oh my gosh, he left his full-time job to start this thing and everyone's asking, so what is it, right? If they haven't Googled it yet while they're listening to it, what was the mission that was put on your heart? Heart for Dream on Three. Yeah, and this this organization was going to make sports dreams come true for kids that were battling some life altering conditions, and so we wanted to take their wildest dreams and and make them come true in a grand, over the top experience. And that was we wanted to to build a programming model that would infuse some joy, hope, love, and encouragement into their lives. And so that was it. And that was it. We just wanted to do something really cool for some special kids. And we wanted to build it around sports. <laughs> so it's helpful that you gave us the context of coming to the decision to start that. Because I feel like the, the, if you're looking at your resume, the next question anyone would ask is, where on earth did that come from? <laughs> right? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, you talk, I was the most unlikely candidate to, to be picked for something like this. I, there was no reason that... I should be doing this. I had no experience, had no idea what I was doing, but I even, I think God even used my ignorance as mm-hmm. a way to build this thing, not knowing what, you know, uh, there's a lot of head trash when it comes to nonprofits and building a nonprofit and how it's supposed to be. And I think not knowing how it was supposed to be has been part of the reason it's been successful. We mm-hmm. were able to do it differently. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. God even used my ignorance to some of this stuff to, to help build it. But yeah, this uh, very the most unlikely candidate for something like this. How, how much of that vision started off crystal clear versus unfolded as the kind of plan unfolded? Yep. Like specifically, like, did you know sports, kids, mm-hmm. nonprofit? Like, did you know that at the outset or did you just know nonprofit or did you know anything like whenever you started to have these conversations with your wife? How did it unfold? Yeah, so those parts were clear to me. I knew this was going to be a nonprofit organization. We were going to make dreams come true for kids and we were going to do it around sports. Those things that was that was from the beginning. That was the original vision. The parts that we didn't know, we didn't know what kind of kids. We didn't know. We I just assumed because I had no experience that we were going to be similar to a Make a Wish. That we would go in and we would make these dreams come true for kids with cancer. And we quickly learned as we got into it and started working with the hospitals and resource providers that yeah, we've done dreams for kids that are battling cancer, but there was a population of kids that weren't being served. These programs had been primarily reserved for kids that were dealing with life-threatening conditions such as cancer, but there was a popular kids with chronic illnesses, intellectual developmental disabilities, even mental health. You talk about a group of kids that nobody was touching. That no, There was no programming available for those kids. So we didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. And then the other piece, too, that I can tell you I had no idea, which is probably the most um, – it's, it's just as rewarding as the piece we did know. You know. We thought that making the dream come true was going to be the finish line. That was the destination. Make the dream come true, that's what it was. But what we've learned over the last 10 years, it was – that dream experience was a catalyst for something so much bigger. 
the impact that these dreams were going to have within the communities, that it was that these dream experiences were going to have within the walls of the schools, within on college campuses, within businesses that got to do it. That part I had no idea. I didn't see that coming, but it's been equally as rewarding as watching the dream come true. So cool. And you've been doing this for 10 years now? 10 years. Yeah. Unreal. Holy cow. Okay. Is there a specific story? I, I, it would probably be very rude to ask you to choose a favorite because I'm, I'm sure you can't choose a favorite. But is there a specific story that you look at as being really exemplary of the Dream on 3 mission and what y'all do that would be really helpful to share with people? Yeah. So there's one, and I appreciate the way you asked that. Yeah, it's hard. You can't, you can't pick a favorite. It's like picking a favorite kid, but there was a story. So these dreams, they're hard to plan. Everyone asks, how long does it take you to plan one? Well, it depends. You know, if your dream is to hang out with Steph Curry, that's going to take us some time. If your dream is football, we know there's a season there. So they're all unique. But this, we had a young girl, she, she was dealing with brain cancer and she had a tumor. They've removed it. There was about 5% left in her brain stem. And she was recovering from that. The surgery had actually forced one of her eyes out. So she'd wear a patch over this eye. But this, this young girl was beautiful, Angel Thompson. And, but all she wanted to do was hunt. She was as country as the day is long. And she just wanted to hunt. And so we had never put a dream like that together. And, and it's, so we reached out to, I don't know if you remember Willie Robertson, Duck Commander, Big Beard. Well, him and Adam LaRoche, Adam LaRoche played for the White Sox. They are co- co-owners of Buck Commander. We reached out, we got it, and they said, yep. We waited over a year trying to find an opportunity to do this. And we got a call, Alex, on, on a Wednesday, and they said, can y'all be here by Friday? <laughs> Oh I, don't, I don't know. We called the family. You know, we're used to putting these these amazing itineraries together and, and just scheduling out every single detail of these dreams. And we called the family and we said, look, we've been asked to be out at Adam Roach's uh, ranch, E3 Ranch in Kansas by Friday. We don't know what it looks like, but... Do you, can you go? And they said, yeah, we go. And we got out there. Long story short, I'll, I'll bring this together. That she goes out, she kills this monster deer. It was an incredible experience. She bonded with Adam LaRoche. Willie Robertson came out. They, she ended up sharing her testimony at Adam LaRoche's church that Sunday morning, a friendship, a bond. It just was like this. But I tell you that one because that dream, we had absolutely nothing to do with it. Mm. It was it was so clear that every piece of this was just divine. We we had no schedule, we had no itinerary, we didn't know what we were doing. We just got in the van. And, <laughs> and, and, and just got hands. in the van. Yeah. Oh wow, so powerful. I love that story. So then like that's like the zoomed in version, zooming out some. Is there anything you can tell us now, ten years in, of the size, scale, scope? of Dream on 3 as a mission, its impact? Yeah. it's So the Dream Experience was our core program, that one dream for one kid, over-the-top experience. And that's now that's morphed into a host of different programs. We've got Daydreams where we'll partner with other nonprofits to make an event special for a group of kids. We've got our Junior Dream Team and our Collegiate Dream Team programs. And Alex, th- these are the programs that I'm telling you, this is the future of Dream on 3. This is... 
to see the impact of these programs where we go into a high school and we identify a group of student leaders. They become the junior dream team and we walk alongside of them through the process of planning a dream for one of their own someone within their school walls that is dealing with a life-altering condition, and they make the dream come true. They do the fundraising. They engage their school. They wrap their arms around these kids, and it is transformational. It changes the culture of the school completely to where after we're long gone, these kids are being named prom queen and king, and, and they're just, you talk about uh, embracing the concept of diversity and inclusion and equity, like it's moving the needle. These programs are moving the needle. And during COVID, we couldn't get in the high schools, so we took it to the colleges. And now we're on 20 different college campuses across the country, uh, big schools, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas. University of UNC Chapel, there you go. Uh, they, these, these programs are rolling out uh, across, across the country right now. Praise God. My gosh. Like my next question is just where can I give money to that? <laughs> I haven't told you this, but we're planning on doing that after this podcast. And I would challenge anyone who's listening to this podcast that feels compelled, take action to do the same. I'm sure we can just find the link on the website and put that in the show notes of this episode if people want to contribute to that. Right, Absolutely. Brandon? Absolutely. Yeah. Go, you know what? Spend a few minutes on our website, uh, dreamon3, the number three, dot org. Watch the videos, look at a couple of the things, and I can talk about it all day long, but you could watch a three-minute video, and you'll, you just get it. It's, and, but yeah, we can't do it without the donations, so thank you for that, Alex. This was not a plug to try to get donations for Dream on 3, but thank you. Thank well, you. what's crazy is like I, if I was a listener to this podcast, I would be thinking like, okay, we're 45 minutes in. He's probably now run Dream on 3 for 10 years. They're now building out these new programs in high schools and colleges, and that's like basically basically Brandon's story, but there's like a whole <laughs> chunk of your career that we haven't even begun to get into yet, which is every job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, What the heck? Like, so, so you also have a full-time job on top of this. So I guess the, before we jump into that, how much, how much time are you spending on dream on three, let's say a week right now. Sure. And then also how big is the dream on three team right now? Yeah, so the team has grown significantly over the last 10 years. We've probably got a team of about 18, 20 uh, full-time employees. We've got a, a, a national headquarters that's established here in Charlotte. We've now got communities in Atlanta and Denver, Richmond, working on and pretty soon Texas. Uh, there you go. Now the promised land, man. That's when things are really going to blow the lid off is when you get to Texas. <laughs> yeah, so we're pumped about that. But the team has grown to where the my time commitment is nowhere near what it was for the last 10 years. Uh, we got an incredible team and they do a great job. I still do a lot. Uh, it's probably I'm at least 10 to 20 hours a week at a minimum, dream on three. But yeah, my paying gig is here, Hoopai Grading Company. And you talk about another blessing. That day, I didn't tell you this, that day that I left Martin Marietta and I made the decision I was going to leave my job. I got home that night. We got our girls in the living room and we were, it was like we were preparing for war. We were preparing for battle. I told him, I said, hey, it's going to look different around here. You know, <laughs> I was prepared to take light bulbs out and, and just, I never will forget my little girl said, can I still go on my field trip? And I said, yes, you can still go on your field trip. But, and, and so we were, we were really ready to go. And 
that same night, I got a call from Brian McManus at Hoop High Grading Company. And he was on his way home. He was a customer of mine at Martin Marietta. And he said, how you been? He said, I was just checking on you. hadn't heard from you in a while. I said, dude, I said, I had a crazy day today. And I told him, and he said, you quit your job? I said, <laughs> I did. And he said, have dinner with me tomorrow night. And I said, okay, okay. And um, that next night, Alex, we met, and he, he slid a sheet of paper in front of me on the table, and he said, this is our vision. And he said, Hoopah is growing. He said, we've got, I've got this vision of what we want to be. And he said, I want you to come help, help us get there. And I said, Brian, I don't know anything about grading. I don't have a clue about grading. And he said, I don't need you to know grading. I need you to know people. And I need you to help me assemble a team. And I said, well, I've got this dream on three thing that, you know, I mean, it's on my heart. He said, you can do both. He said, I'll let you do both. And so he has held true to that. Well, you talk about just an incredible man, incredible human being and an incredible blessing. I have never had to take a dime on dream on three. Uh, I've been able to do that. And, and Hoopa uh, has, has fed my family while dream on three has fed my soul. And it's, we've been able to do it now. Going on five and a half years. I have so many questions and so many takeaways <laughs> out of everything that you just shared. I guess first takeaway is, I mean, Brian McManus sounds like a baller. <laughs> is my first. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a certain quality that I I have seen show up again and again in really transformational and visionary leaders, and that's just like this. I don't know if conviction is the proper word or confidence is the proper word, but it's like when they see the right person, they get, they get so sold out on getting that person to buy into a a grander vision that that person like can't, can't help but want to be a part of it. Is there anything specific that stood out to you about Brian, like in those conversations and even just in your relationship with him as a customer that made him the type of leader that you wanted and would trust to follow? Yeah, Alex, I just believed him. I I believed that this vision that he had for the company was going to happen and he was committed to it. I was inspired by his passion for it. So much so that after that dinner, I, we shook hands. I said, Brian, I'm in. Right, we'll do this. Uh, I showed up that next Monday, and the lady that was working, she kind of heads up our HR. She said, who are you? Where is your office? I don't know. What is your title? I don't know. <laughs> and she said, did y'all discuss money at all? I said, nope. We didn't. We literally discussed no details. I showed up for work on Monday because I was so confident in this man and his vision, and uh, I wanted to be a part of it. Okay, so that's interesting because I think a lot of times today people hear, oh, he gave you a vision, and they think the vision was, oh, we're going to 5X this company. We're going to 5X Hoopa together. It doesn't sound like that was the vision. So what was the vision that he cast for you that you said was like, man, that's so inspiring. I believe it's going to happen, and I want to be a part of it. What, What did that casting of that vision look like? Great question, Alex. And that vision has not changed. It's the same vision today as it was five years ago when I sat down with Brian. And it is simple. It is 
to be the best. We want to be the best. We want to be the best contractor in the Carolinas. And, and there was no number. There was no size. There was no bottom line metrics. It was he wanted to be the best. And he knew that in order to be the best, we had to have the best people. We had to have the best team. And he also knew that if we could achieve that, the numbers would come. Mm. And so here's a man that cast this vision, but not only did he say, hey, I'm, I want you to come help. He said, I'm, I'm willing to double down on this. I'm fully committed to this thing, and I want you to go assemble a team, and we're going to train them. We're going to develop. We're going to change. We're going to change the game in construction. And he said, we're going we're gonna to take control of the narrative that's been created about our industry. We're going to change that. We're going to build leaders. We're going to we're we're going to change the game. And how do you not get excited about being a part of that? Mm, yes. And if you pair that with like I trust this guy's integrity, it, it's like game on. Holy cow! Yeah. Uh, or at least for the right people. Okay. Question for you, just as the person that got to be on the receiving side of Brian's vision for that. I think we work with a lot of leaders right now that have become very aware of, man, the quality of my organization will never exceed the quality of our people. And they reach this point where they've grown in a certain way for a certain period of time. And they realize, man, if we're going to get to the next stage, or if we're going to kind of take this vision to the next iteration of what this company could be, we are going to have to start going to get high caliber leaders that are deeply passionate and really smart in areas that I'm not. Mm. And a lot of times that is the blocker for people is they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to go get that type of person because a lot of times that person doesn't come to you. A lot of times you go get that type of person. So anything you've learned from Brian on going out and getting really, really high caliber people that you would pass on to anyone that's in that position. I think you're exactly right. You know, I don't know how high caliber I was at the time, but he saw something there that was that he didn't have on the team. Mm-hmm. And he saw value that that he couldn't get out of the leadership that he had there. It was it's pretty it's pretty impressive. And what I didn't tell you was how we got to that point in that vision. Brian was at a place and he'll tell you if you go back and listen to his episode in the podcast, he was in a pretty dark spot. Uh, as an owner of the company, he he was in a place where he wasn't having fun anymore. He mm. was not enjoying it. The company had grown. We were we were doing a lot of work. We had hired a lot of people, but it wasn't fun. People were fighting. Nobody was aligned. Uh, there was there was just there were a lot of issues. Maybe on the surface, it looked like it was a great, healthy company, but underneath the hood. It was it was unraveling, and Brian was a part of that, and and so he he had gotten to a place where he he really had to look in the mirror and say, what's going on here? Why is this like this? And what do I want to do? And he he pulled his leadership team together, and they they did they went through traction, they went through EOS, mm-hmm. and they did this whole VTO vision casting, and and. Um, and as you go through that process, you start to identify where your gaps are. 
you know, and you're putting people in the right seats and your 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 integrators and your visionaries and things like this. And, and he realized there was a place there that he needed someone to help pull all this together. And he mm. needed someone to help build the team. And I, I'm grateful that he saw something in me, the ability to do it. I ha- I've had a blast being able to, to build a team and, and to be a part of that and to see this vision come to life. But yeah, it's, it was pretty powerful to see him so committed to it that he was willing to, to put this guy that walks around in, in Jordans all day long on the payroll for a grading company. <laughs> I love that. Before uh, before we depart too much from Dream on 3 and get full on into Hoopa, what, what is the biggest lesson that you learned in the 10 years now uh, of Dream on 3? And maybe specifically, how on earth were you able to build it as something that can now operate so sustainably with you not being involved full time? Like, is there anything that you had to learn specifically that gave you the ability to now have that as a, in some ways, independently operating nonprofit that doesn't require your full time involvement? Yeah, and it's it's not so much different than what Brian had asked me to do here. It was you got to build a team. You've got, and, and if you look at Dream on 3 and you look at our footprint in each of these communities, we've got an advisory board that lives there, people that are ingrained in that community. They're supporting staff that are being supported by these. And so we built a team and we've, we've built leaders and we've empowered the leaders to go out and do it. But it is, you know, one of the things I did learn leading in corporate America and in the corporate side of things, it's totally different than leading on the nonprofit side, right? On, on corporate, you've got these levers that you can pull. You've got this big hammer, like I'm paying you. Your livelihood depends on this. And in the nonprofit world, that's not why they're doing it. No one goes to work for a nonprofit because they want to retire early or they, they want to get rich. They do it because they need something here and they're passionate about it. And so... Um, being able to keep people inspired around a vision and to, to let them see where we're going and what their role in it. Like I had to develop that, that skill set mm. and, and to be able to do that. But that we, we do that here too. And, and really you should, whether you're in corporate side of things or nonprofit side, it doesn't really matter. That's how you should lead. That's how mm. we're going to lead here. That's that, um, to inspire and to rally people behind the, uh, a greater vision. Mm. And final question on Dream on 3. You're still giving 10 to 20 hours a week. I would assume it takes a, a fair amount of headspace. It probably absorbs uh, a lot of you and your wife and your family's time and energy as well. What is your personal why? Because you don't have to do that, right? So, like, what is the personal why for you that keeps you plugging away at that mission? Yeah, my my definition of success changed through this, Alex. It was I had a very clear definition of success when I was at Martin Marietta, and it meant to climb that ladder as far as I could climb it, to make as much as I could make, to acquire all the things. And through this process, I have, I have realized that by serving, we actually win. And, and so my definition of success now means to serve. How can I serve? Whether it's here at Hoopa or it's at Dream on Three, I realize that that's, that's what we're called to do. That's the work. That's, 
And that's where we find our purpose. And I didn't have that. I had a very solid plan, but I had no purpose. And I found mm. that now. And that drives me. Uh, that fuels me. And, and what I get out of the opportunity to serve, uh, to serve these families, these kids, our team members, is, is way more rewarding than anything that I ex- had experienced on the other side of it. Mm. Well, I admire this in both you and Brian. Just the thing that stands out is just your abundance mentality of like so many people would say you'd got to choose and you've both have this attitude of, well, why not both? Why not? Yes. Right. Dream on three and hoopa. So I, I think that that's so cool. And I think there's so much that we can all myself personally, especially learn from you in that it's really inspiring, Brandon. Okay. Let's jump into your role at hoopa. So you came in and let's just first talk about that first year like what, what was your day to day? How are you investing your time? Where did Brian kind of place you and say, we would love for you to work on these things. What did your role look like in that first year? It, Alex, it was, it was kind of funny. And neither one of us knew. We didn't have a clue. And, and, it, and no one that worked at Hoopa knew what I was doing. Like, who is this guy? Why is he here? And what in the world could he possibly have to offer? And, and I couldn't answer that for him. And so I spent the first six months just getting to understand what everybody did. I went from office to office, just meeting people, under, listening to what they do, trying to understand how everything works together. And for, for six months, they thought, all right, this guy's just, he's like the happiness manager. He comes around just you know, smiles and laughs and ask how you're doing. And that was, that was my role. But in those six months, I started to identify areas where I could say, all right, this, this is potential issue here. These are things that are standing in the way of us being able to achieve that vision. And so the very first thing I I came to Brian and I said, Brian, I said, you know, you said the vision is to be the best. I said, what does that mean? So what does it mean to be the best? And how do you know? And he sat back in his chair and he said, you know, it's a great question. He said, that's your first project. And so that was it. So we put a team together. We assembled a task force of various leaders throughout the company. And it was, hey, becoming the best. What does this mean? And how do we know if we achieve that or not. So that was my first project. Okay. I don't want people to miss the leadership gold in that because I think most people think leadership is Brian leaning back in his chair and saying, let me give you the answer to your question. Right. This is what the best is. Right. And I just love that his impulse was not to do that. Rather, his impulse is what is counterintuitive to so many. It's, oh, actually, that's what you're going to figure out. You're going to go get that answer. I, I just think that's such a brilliant leadership move. And it, it was, it was brilliant. On his way. And the other part of the brilliant part was he said, why don't you pull a group of leaders together and y'all come up with what it means to be the best. So he was already thinking about how do we engage the team? How do we get their buy-in into this? So that it's not just Brian speaking from the heavens, be the best that, that people are, they're a part of this. They defined it. And so there, you're right. There was some leadership gold in what, he, in what he did there. So that became our first project. From there, we kind of, we built a roadmap. What it means to be the best, how we're going to get there, some of the things that it was going to require. We started chipping away at it, 90 days at a time. 
Mm. Very cool. And what were some of the things that made it onto that roadmap that served as indicators of the best? Yeah. So a lot of it had to do with, it was internal. It was, they were things that required us to get our house in order. Before we could go out and be the best to our client, to our community, to our trade partners, to our employees, we needed to make sure that we we had our mess cleaned up. And so you you look back at that original VTO and the vision, it was recruiting efforts, our training efforts, our hiring, our standard operating procedures. It really was taking a a long look under the hood and getting our stuff in order so that then we could start to grow. We could start to scale. That's where the idea for the academy came from. You know, Brian had always had this vision of of wanting to to train. And you look at a construction company, everyone reports to a job site. There's no big office building. There's no big conference room and training center. They're going to a job site. So as we were continuing to grow, we had no place and no good means to be able to train our team. And so Brian said, I want a training facility. I want to do something. I was thinking, I was thinking fourth grade math class trailer outside the main building, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to meet. And, and Brian called me one day, said, show up here at this address. And I showed up and it was this 20,000 square foot warehouse. I said, Brian, your vision for this was much greater than mine. And, and it was, and we, we leased the warehouse, we gutted it and we built this, we built this training academy with, with a sole purpose of bringing our team in and giving them the tools and resources they needed to become successful leaders and, uh, and team members. Man, holy cow. I, I, I admire that a lot. I think this is something that I'm constantly trying to uh, pursue the confidence to be able to act that way. But I think so often, like if we look at the Old Testament, like version of like, even if we're looking at Moses or Joseph or Jacob as people that were leaders, it's like they did not see the work of God and then believed. They like believed they took the step into the Jordan River and then they saw the work of God or like they stuck their staff in the ground. Like Moses could have looked like a freaking fool sticking his staff into the ground in front of the sea and then nothing happened, right? But he did the thing and and then because he believed, he saw the work of God. And in some ways, that's just where my mind goes whenever I hear like, we're going to buy a 20,000 square foot building. Now, I, I am assuming that was done in wisdom financially and all of that, right? Like, But it's like, we're going to buy this before this thing fully exists and then we're going to err on the side of being on offense we're going to put our weight on our toes and it's like we're going to fill that building and we're going to fill that building with good things is that a fair characterization of what happened there wow it sounds absolutely insane when you say that back to me alex but that is exactly what happened uh it is it's about as insane as me leaving my job at mark marietta with no plan. <laughs> but you're right. The, the the waters parted after I did that. And, and stepping off of that cliff and doing it, Brian and I uh, both have a tendency to, I mean, we take risk and to, to be daring and to move. But uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. And he saw it. He could see what this thing was going to become, but he, he needed help building it. Mm. But he, he had no doubt what it could be. Mm, 
man, that's pretty amazing. How do you, you said you're kind of wired that way as well. Like you are a kind of faith driven, can be risk taker, can be like have visions of what could be and what you think should be. Like, how do you operate with a clear vision of what God is calling you to while simultaneously still walking in the wisdom of having a plan of having clear action steps and things like that. Like, do you feel tension around that? Because sometimes like I admire EOS so much and we are building, like we've built out the 12 fundamentals for healthy business. That is really our playbook for equipping business owners. And sometimes the thing that I think about a lot is like, okay, yes, you got to follow the steps. And there's a degree to which you need to really hold on to the steps and follow the process. And sometimes God moves and you just got to go with that. And it's, and you're not going to find that in traction or you're not going to find that in path for growth's playbook. Right. And so how do you like weigh those two things? Or do you ever think about that, Brandon? Yeah, I think you have to, you know, um, you have to be willing to change the sales. If, and, you know, if it's if it's not going the way that it's supposed to be going, you have to be able to step back. And you've got to you're right. EOS doesn't build in room for God to change the, the plan. And so you've got to be able to create that space and to be open and to see pressing into it and seeking that. But I also think there's I'm just seeing it. You know, this is our we call it. This is our dream it, do it mindset that you dream it and then. You don't let that dream hang out and dream purgatory. You go. Take the first step. Just move. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you do have to move. And you have to make a decision to move. And if this is this is from God, it's going to be successful. If it's not, you're going to figure it out really quick. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't pick up on what you said there right at first. I thought you said change the sales and I was thinking S-A-L-E-S. And I was like, oh, so this is a sales? No, it's S-A-I-L-S. And so, man, I literally read that quote the other day where it's like, you control the position of the sales, God controls the wind. And it's like, you better pay attention. It sounds like what you're saying is you better pay attention to where the wind's blowing. That's it. That's it. You know, I, I read a quote, and I wish I could tell you, it, it may be Maxwell, but the, the pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist believes it's going to change, and the leader changes the sales. Mm. And, and Yeah, that's good. It's, and, and that's what I think you've got to be willing to do that. You know, we are a dream it, do it mindset. We, we're going to we're going to dream big and we're going to move, but we're also willing to back up and punt if we have to as well. Which that takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of humility to take a risk that might not work. It takes more humility, I think, to say this didn't work and move in a different direction. Okay, let's look at the training academy. I'd love for you to put a little bit more meat to what's actually going on there now. How long has it existed? And how does it operate in the context of hoopball? What's occurring in the hoopball training academy? Yeah, so it's been it's been open for about two and a half years. And originally, this was supposed to be just a training grounds for our team members where we could come in, we could do safety training, we could do CPR training, things like that. Basic, you know, HR, onboarding, things like that, where we couldn't get everyone together. We quickly realized that it can be so much more than that. And and Brian wanted to begin investing in leadership training. And I mean, now we're doing week-long orientations with new members that are coming in. We put them through five days of orientation talking about core values. We do DISC 
with new hires because we know how critical communication is into all that we do. It's, it's really morphed into something pretty amazing. Brian and I and Tim Davis and, and Grayson Glover, our executive leadership team, we did a boot camp where we took all of our leaders uh, through extreme ownership. And you talk about a game changer for us. Extreme ownership was a game changer for us. Mm. But those are the kind of things that we're doing with the academy. We've got an incredible team. It's our team development group. There are they're made up of trainers that are, are teaching orientation, leadership skills, DISC, but also doing field training, our safety team. And so all of that is wrapped up under the academy. So we spent a year and a half, two years, really building out a curriculum, building out programs. And then the focus for 2023 became now take the academy to the field. How instead of getting the field into the academy, how do we take the academy to the field? Because the academy is not just a building. Now it's it's a curriculum. What is the biggest way that Hoopa as a company is different from before the existence of the training academy to after? I think the team the team really started to appreciate the investment that was made into them. They see the academy as theirs. It's their building. It's their uh, it's an investment by Brian and this company into their success and their career. And I think there's a sense of pride that goes with that. I think they appreciate that. They Some of these folks that are in the field had never, ever been through any kind of formal training at all. And so it was intimidating for them to even walk in the building. And now some of those same people that were scared to death to be in a classroom setting are leading classes. They're teaching classes. So it's just incredible to see the ownership that they've taken and the pride that they've taken into that investment into them. Mm. Herb, who I know you're familiar with, they have a workforce development group that is doing similar work to what you were doing. And I know he's been very inspired by y'all's organization. Y'all have an incredible collaborative relationship as well, which is so cool. He was telling me the story the other day. He went and was talking to a group and the group was really just spending a fair amount of time like bemoaning the labor that was coming in and the fact that the labor wasn't any good and, and that they were entitled and, and what was cool is he said in that conversation, he asked them some questions and they had some good discussion and they had this light bulb moment where they said, oh, that is literally our company's job. And But what's crazy is like, I mean, this does not just exist in the construction industry. Like we can complain about the next generation's level of entitlement. And in complaining about the next generation's level of entitlement, we are, what I realize is, oh my gosh, we are exercising entitlement, right? Like we are literally saying we deserve better people than this and we're not getting it. It's like, holy cow. But I feel like what, I love that you referenced extreme ownership because it feels like that's what y'all did is you said, we are going to own reality as it stands. We're not going to complain. We're going to contribute. And it feels like that's what the academy is an investment in. Alex, you you just hit the nail on the head. You're exactly right. You could not give a better example of extreme ownership. We were guilty of sitting back and saying, yeah, you can't find good help. You can't, nobody, you know, they're not teaching the trades in the schools anymore. All the things that you hear about the destruction of this industry. And when you really look at it and you take an extreme ownership perspective of it, whose fault is it? Mm. It's ours. 
it's ours. And whose responsibility is it to change it? It's ours. And so that's what we started doing. And, you know, we, we, we launched the podcast. Uh, the, and the goal of that was not to build a podcast. We, we didn't care about that. It really did not fit within a construction company. But it was a tool for us to change the narrative about our mm-hmm. industry to start showing the stories that people don't get to hear. That next generation, they don't get to hear Brian's story of how he went from being an engineer to the owner of uh, the company. They don't get to hear Jason Richmond's story of shovel to the C-suite. They, and that's our fault. So we, have to, we had to change the narrative. You know, we've got equipment simulators, and we'll roll those things into a high school job fair, career fair day, and you would think they're Disney World. I love it. They don't get to see the technology behind the industry. So, and whose fault is that? That's ours. We, sh- we need to showcase it. Uh, let's use that. Let's find how we can appeal to that next generation. But yeah, it, it was it was an extreme ownership perspective of it, and we were guilty of every other, just like every other contractor in the world, just complaining. And and Brian said we're going to take some responsibility. Well, I, I definitely don't think it's just that industry. And the illustration that comes to mind for me is I, w- I was a lifeguard in high school. And one of the things they taught you as a lifeguard is if, you, if you're ever in this horrible situation where you've got someone that's uh, unconscious or that you need to give CPR, obviously the first thing you do is tell someone to contact 911, right? Con- and you don't say someone call 911. Why? Because everyone assumes someone else will do it. You say you, Brandon, with the red hat and the blue shirt, you call 911. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. And I think social media contributes to it is like, we see everyone else and we think, oh, they'll do something about it. There's this problem and we just assume someone else will do something about it. And I think it's a powerful day when you realize like, oh, this is this is my problem that I get to solve or contribute to. And, and I just so admire y'all's example of doing that. And, and the fact that you said, we're going to get our house in order then we're going to train people, and then we're going to launch a podcast. I think a lot of times we do it flipped. We say, I'm going to launch a podcast, and then I'll figure out how to get this mess together beforehand. So, man, just so much credit to y'all. What are you, uh, at Hoopal, what are you most excited about right now, Brandon? You know, you mentioned it. What what we're excited about is seeing other companies taking the same mindset, seeing the Herb Sargent, seeing the C.W. Matthews, the 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 build wits. Of the, we're seeing we're, we're not the only ones doing this. There are some companies that are not only doing it, that are doing it better. And and that's how we're going to move the needle. That's so I'm excited to see this catching on. I'm seeing I'm excited to see our industry. Um, get on board with what needs to happen to no longer be afraid to tell their stories and to give away their secrets, knowing that it's going to benefit everyone if we can, we can start to change that narrative. So I'm excited about that. Very cool. Before our final question, I'd love for people just to know how they could connect to you and Dream on 3 and also your podcast. So uh, Brandon's a great connection on LinkedIn. So we'll put his link to, uh, in, LinkedIn in the show notes. Um, tell them a little bit about the podcast and what they'll hear if they go check that out. Yeah, so we've got, we've got a podcast. It's called Give Us the Dirt. We just launched a new series on how not to be a leader, taking life lessons that we've learned from those in, in our past that, uh, that are examples that we've had of our own where 
we've done things that weren't good leadership practices and how we've learned from that. And that's helped shape our style today. And so Alex was actually on that. Alex, you're, you're, thank you for doing that and, and being a guest on it. It was a great episode. We had a blast. We are open book. You know, if anyone wants to reach out and say, you know, how did you guys do the academy? How do you structure the team development group? What are you doing with the podcast? We are we're willing to talk to anybody. We're, there's no secrets here. Uh, we're not afraid of, of talking. And, you know, we've even shared some of you know the success with competitors and things like that on how you do that. Our, our secret is our people. So we're, mm-hmm. we're not opposed to opening up the blueprints and helping someone figure out how to do this. So please reach out. I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone. You know, the Dream on 3 side, I always love talking about Dream on 3, as you can tell, Alex. And I appreciate the opportunity to do that today. If, if you want to get involved or you want to be a part of that and get in the huddle with us, I'm always happy to talk to someone about that. Yeah, just put my LinkedIn, my email address at, at uh, brandonl at upagrading.com and happy to help any way I can. Love that. Very cool. And we'll put the link to Dream on 3 in the show notes as well. Final question is, what's the biggest lesson that you're learning right now personally? Biggest lesson is... Uh, I would say extreme ownership has just, it's been, it's been a game changer for me. That, that whole concept of the fact that the number one most important factor in a team's success or failure is the leader, Mm. that really puts things in perspective. And and it, it, it keeps us from being able to point the finger at anyone, to blame anyone, like just knowing that, all right, it didn't go well. Well, that's on me. What am I going to do? to fix that and make sure that that doesn't happen again. And, and that requires humility. It requires the ability to step back and to, to take a, a look at it and to take yourself out of the equation, to take your ego out of the equation and think about what is best for this team and how can I best serve this team? So that to me, I'm constantly doing that every day. I, I, don't, I still don't get it right all the time, but it is, it is a great gut check for me to just to think about, all right, this is on me. Hmm. It's my responsibility. Love that. Well, Brandon, so grateful to you, to Brian, to the whole Hoopa team, to the whole Dream on 3 team. Just holy cow, man. Your commitment to abundance, to walking out what God has for you and to serving people in the process, uh, it, it is an inspiration. And beyond that, too, it wasn't just inspiration. This was just so practical. So thanks for your time, Brandon. Alex, thank you. Thank you. And it, man, I, it has been a pleasure getting to know you. And you've been a blessing. All the work that you're doing your company. Uh, I mean, you, you are, you are helping us to become better leaders. So I'm grateful for that and grateful for your friendship as well. So thanks, Brandon. Thank you, Alex. Oh my gosh. Uh, Brandon's story and perspective are just um, so impactful and powerful for so many reasons. But I'll tell you, there was one thing that stood out to me as a theme in that conversation, Brandon has done some pretty remarkable things in his life and in his career. But what's so cool is you can just see woven throughout how when things went well, he was always doing them in service of other people. And he is just as consistent as anyone we've ever talked to on this podcast to give God the glory for the efforts and to recognize verbally that this doesn't happen without the movement and work of the Holy Spirit and the God that created 
created us. And I'm just so inspired by that example in so many ways. I think that is what faithful leadership looks like. So Brandon, thank you for your example and thanks for investing in us in this conversation. Y'all, real quick before we go, if you want to be part of what we're doing within Path for Growth, one of the best ways to do that is to get on our Worth It Wednesday email list. I really believe most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. That's why we send out one email a week that we say it better be worth it. We're going to send you a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. If you want to get that email, you can sign up at pathforgrowth.com or by clicking the link that's in the show notes. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.